Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February of 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in New London, Connecticut. New London, Connecticut. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Aren't you usually in Canberra, Australia? Normally I would be, but uh, this week we're actually getting ready for Keto Fest. That's right. And we're doing a mini Keto Fest in New London, Connecticut. Um, and I should mention that I've been on a ketogenic diet since April of 2014. And when I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. And within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've lost about 100 pounds. I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that might help a few people out there who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? No, Richard. No, 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 Richard. No. <laughs> <laughs> we have done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind that. We hope to share some of that research. Where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite research supporting any claims that we make. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Oh, yeah, that's a claim. <laughs> Absolutely. We love to cook. And we love to eat. Mm -hmm. In every episode, we both share a keto recipe that cannot, will, will not, not, and, and shall, shall not, not be ignored. Be ignored. <laughs> so let's start podcast number 112. Jessica Turton, dietitian and scientist. You say so Richard, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? Yeah, last week's show was uh, Dr. Kenberry Rance. We actually have a correction from Ethan on the forum. Okay. Richard and Carl, I wanted to point out what I believe should be a correction to your episode 111. And in that episode, Dr. Kenberry did an amazing job yes. of discussing the issues doctors have with uh, recommending a ketogenic diet against the risk-averse standards. And he mentioned that the ADA diet has guidelines for tremendous numbers of carbs. And this is actually no longer completely correct. Wow. Uh, the ADA made changes recently, which I pointed out on the ketogenic forums a few months ago after a physical therapist friend told me about it. They no longer specify any specific number of carbohydrates for a person's diet. Mm. That's actually remarkable. That is remarkable. When I was on a type 2 diet, I was told to eat 300 grams of carbs a day, no less. Now, wait a minute. ADA stands in this context for American Diabetes Association, but That's it also exactly stands right. for Australian Diabetes Association, right? right? Well, actually, in, in Australia, it's called Diabetes Australia. Oh, okay. Uh, but they all get their data from the same people. So if the ADA, the American Diabetes Association, is making a change, then hopefully that will flow through to diabetes organizations all over the world. And it's really interesting that, um, you know, the change is coming so slowly. It's just kind of like the, the frog in the pot of boiling water, right? Yeah. Well, they want it to be that way because if they make a dramatic change, then they're open to litigation. So yeah. they, they want to make slow, slight changes in the right direction. Guess what? They're open to litigation yeah. anyway. Yeah. So Ethan goes on to say, while it in no way says that anybody with type 2 diabetes should go on a ketogenic diet, and we know that they should, uh, it does, however, list a low-carbohydrate diet as one of the options. No kidding. I know, right? That, that is remarkable. 
He, Ethan goes on to say, uh, there's also advice from the ADA to make it count when you eat starchy foods. They even ha- leave options for people to not eat grains at all. Wow. wow. <laughs> That's a remarkable. Um, so while the ADA's create my plate tool does not even give the option to reduce grains and starchy foods below 25% of your food intake, mm. the tool itself is listed as just one of the many options for selecting food, along with low carbohydrate, vegan, Mediterranean, and other diets. Basically, the ADA now guides that the eating pattern that you can follow and sustain that meets your own diabetes goals will be the best option for you. Wow, that (laughs) is totally remarkable. How did we miss that? (laughs) Thank you, Ethan. They no longer mention any specific minimum or maximum carbohydrate, fat, or protein level. (laughs) Wow. I guess that that's huge news. Yeah, that's a heck of an errata, but it's not an errata on us. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's right. an errata on the American Diabetes Association. Well, and it's very, <laughs> very good to hear that. Yeah. Very good to hear. This is what we've been campaigning for from the get-go, that diabetics should be allowed and given information about low-carbohydrate diets. That's right. I don't care if, a, if somebody says that they don't personally like a low carbohydrate diet they think i should personally eat more fiber and whole grains and whatever as long as they don't tell me that eating a low carb diet is dangerous and that's what i was told when i was a diabetic and in fact that the opposite was true a low carbohydrate diet reversed my diabetes fantastic news Mm. so that's my errata for the day (laughs) all right well let's review what a ketogenic diet is ketogenic diet is any diet that puts you in a state of nutritional ketosis Mm -hmm. This is essentially where you adapt your body from burning glucose as your primary fuel to burning fat as your primary fuel. Whether that fat is on your plate or on your body, Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. You Mm -hmm. produce ketone bodies, which is a byproduct of that, which helps fuel your body along with all those fatty acids. Mm -hmm. And there's a surefire way to get into nutritional ketosis. Don't eat carbs. (laughs) Don't eat carbs. (laughs) No sugar, no starch. No sugar, no starch. Replace all the sugar and starch in your diet with healthy fats. Mm -hmm. The unhealthy fats are vegetable oils, processed oils, that kind of stuff. Healthy fats would be animal fats, animal fats, animal (laughs) fats. Did I mention animal fats? Yeah. And also, of course, avocados, coconut oil. Yeah, monounsaturated fats like olive oil, avocado oil. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And a few nuts and stuff. So that's it in a nutshell. (laughs) As it were. As it were. So how was your week, my friend? Well, I'm in New London, Connecticut. So you've actually witnessed how my week has been. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, So I I did a stupid thing when I flew out of Australia. So when I organized my flights, uh, I'm I'm flying from Canberra, which is like, it's on the east coast of Australia. Mm. And I was flying from there to LA to New York to to come over to Connecticut. Yeah. But I found a cheaper airfare for $20 cheaper if I flew via Perth. Now, flying to, <laughs> <laughs> flying to New York via Perth, it would be easier to go in the opposite direction, seriously. Yeah. Um, that's like that's like New York is where you live and Perth is like LA. Yeah, so it's like going from New York to London via LA. <laughs> <laughs> so you had yeah. to fly to Perth, fly yeah. back to Sydney, know, and then fly on to LA yeah. and then on to New York. But it was 20 bucks cheaper. <laughs> no, you, but, you, so, but, but the thing is, you did it not to save money, obviously, but right. but because you wanted to leave at night, you didn't want to get up way early in the morning. Yeah, so the flight from LA to New York only happens once a day, mm. and it's like 9 a.m. So mm. to get there two hours before just to make sure I get the flight, I've got to like leave Canberra on the very first flight. And if I miss that flight or if there's any reason the flight is delayed, yeah. then everything becomes, you know, a mess. So, yeah. um, so it was actually turned out to be a decent thing because I go the, the previous 
evening yeah and i'm i've got my midterm exams the minute i get home like mm. literally i get home on thursday and my first tu- massive tutorial is on friday so you get some squ- quality study time exactly so i st- i studied biology all the way to perth and back <laughs> for 20 dollars <laughs> exactly <laughs> no they paid me 20 bucks yeah that's what i mean for the yeah. privilege yeah <laughs> so so that's that's how my week <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of was on a plane for a lot, a lot of my week. Well, I'll fill people in on my story yeah, sure. of, of the rest of how your week was here. Mm-hmm. We have been having a great time, of we course. Have, yeah. um, Richard came here and first thing we did is had a cigar and celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were celebrating the Kickstarter because, yeah. uh, and I, you know, people say to me, how can you be so, so bad to your body by having cigars? I, this is like the second cigar I've had. Uh, since Keto Fest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so It's a once know, in a while yeah, thing. And only in America. <laughs> right. So we basically spent the week here prepping for Keto Mini Fest and Keto Fest, like we did some some of each. Yeah. Now, Keto Mini Fest, as we were talking about earlier, mm. is something that we want to try here in New London. Well, me anyway, but you being here at the first one is great. It's essentially a four or five hour event. Right. And it starts with a cocktail hour and then a cooking demonstration mm-hmm. and then a dinner, like a sit-down dinner yeah. cooked by me and you, mm-hmm. in this case, That's right. both of us, yeah. with the guidance of Chef Robert from RD86, mm-hmm. who's been teaching us a lot of great stuff. Yeah. And, the, and then uh, we have a live Q&A with uh, a keto doctor, celebrity, nutritionist, whatever. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's... Dr. Ken Berry. Right. From last week's show. From last week's show. And so, your doctor. And my doctor. Yeah. So this is going to be great. The first <laughs> telemedicine that I get with my doctor is- Will be live. Will be in live. Front of an audience. <laughs> yeah. So I get to ask him a few questions first. No, yeah. I won't do that. Uh, and then after that, Megan Ramos agreed to come on, you know, Zoom Very or generous, Skype or yeah. whatever and mm-hmm. answer a few questions. So- so that's the formula, and yeah. we plan on doing this in New London every month. Yeah, but the reason that we're doing this is to build a template so that people can have keto mini fests or even the entire keto fest itself right. in their own hometown. So yeah. we're trying to put together a manifesto, a template, so that people can then reuse what we, the, what we've learned about the process. Now, nothing's and, stopping you from doing your own event without our yeah. manifesto. Yeah. There's it, nothing wrong with that. No. But we're going to give you support if you follow our rules. Absolutely. And if you want to call it a keto fest, um, you need to follow the template. That's right. Mm-hmm. So you'll wait for more on that. We'll have... We'll, we'll have that. That isn't published yet. We'll have more mm-hmm. on that. Well, let's uh, let's give away a mug, shall we? Uh, let's do that. Some loot. <laughs> some loot. Yar. Yar. <laughs> we uh, ought to collect some different loot other than coffee mugs, some signed books or things like that. I think yeah. we'll do that. Yeah, we'll do that sometime. Yeah. But right now we're giving away a coffee mug with our mugs on it and mm-hmm. uh, to one lucky member of the Two Keto Dudes fan club. And if you want to join the fan club, it's free. It's easy. Just go to fanclub.2keto.com and answer a few questions and uh, sign up. And you'll not only get a newsletter every once in a while when we feel like putting one out, but uh, uh, you'll be eligible to win something in every show. Mm -hmm. So, Carl, who have we got this week? All right. Well, this week's winner is Catherine Burney. Congratulations, Catherine. Congratulations. (laughs) You get a mug with our mugs on it. You get the mug mug. (laughs) Yeah, and if you don't want to wait to win a mug, you could always buy one at gear.2keto.com and pick yourself up a T-shirt or other... No, I'm not (laughs) going to say it. Other things. Other things. Yeah. Chaps. Nope. Nope. Not going to say asses, chaps. Nope. And that brings us squarely to a segment that we call... (laughs) (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.
<laughs> it's fun when we're doing it across from each other. That's right. We we're can u- actually see each other yeah, in the we're studio. U- we're usually doing it, one of us, uh, on the other side of the world. One thing people might not know is that I actually have a recording studio where I record bands, and I've been recording my podcast for years, mm. and I have these tw- twin vocal booths, and mm. there's you know plexiglass between them, so they're isolated sound-wise, but but we can see each other. That's right. And it's kind of a luxury yeah, it being is. able to do it's that. It's very nice. Yep. All right. So here's my mail. It's from James Riedemann. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read it and then I'll tell the story. But he kind of tells it. He says, last week I attended a computer conference in Orlando, Florida that Carl also attended. Mm -hmm. I saw him at the keynote address and introduced myself so that I could say thank you in person. In August of 2017, I saw a doctor after 18 months of blatantly ignoring my type 2 diabetes. I thought I'd been doing okay, but found my A1C was, ready for this, 13.7. Wow. Yeah. James, scary. That, you were sick. You were ready to lose toes. Mm-hmm. My blood pressure was high. My cholesterol numbers were not good. Yeah. In September, a coworker told me about two keto dudes, and I started listening to the podcast. A little over six months later, I'm 60 pounds lighter. Wow. My blood pressure is normal. Of course. My cholesterol numbers are almost in the normal ranges. And we know what that means, right? Mm-hmm. Not much. <laughs> Uh, he says, give me one more blood test. Mm. But most importantly, with my doctor's knowledge, I've stopped taking both insulin and Victoza. Wow. Since I've dropped my A1C from that 13.7 reading to, get this, 5.6. Booyah! <laughs> <laughs> two-thirds, almost two-thirds. Better than that, you're normal. Yeah. You're, you are ha- now have a normal blood glucose level, yep. and you are below the point where you get worse. Yes. So you, uh, you in theory, your body should be able to uh, create more beta cells than you destroy, and you should be getting better every day if you can keep your HbA1c under five point seven. So and you'll well avoid done. all those complications that people are afraid of. Absolutely. Which is, you know the mm-hmm. big problem. Yeah. I shared the above story with Carl. Uh, and Andrew Duffy was also there, and he's mm-hmm. one of our admins, yeah. and also a longtime .NET Rocks listener. Mm-hmm. Never mind. You don't need to know that. <laughs> Whom I had also just met. These guys could not have been more friendly and supportive. I finally had my opportunity to shake Carl's hand and say thank you for my health, for providing a podcast that's both entertaining and informative, and for the recipes. Richard, I owe you the exact same thank you, but the handshake <laughs> will have to wait for some future day. Yeah. You're welcome, James. The reason that we're doing this is because we weren't given the information way back when, when we had diabetes, and yep. that, that made us angry. And yep. so we're doing this from a from a position of we really want to get this information out into people's hands. Yeah. So I'm going to give you a challenge. See if you can find two other type 2 diabetics and turn them onto this. Yeah. And when they, like you, turn their HbA1c back to a normal level, get them to, t- to find two more people. And That's if right. we can keep this whole thing going on, the, the laws of geometric progression are going to mean that we're going to take type 2 diabetics out from underneath the curse that they are. Yeah, that's right. And I don't think James is going to have any problem doing that. No. So there's <laughs> a lot of type 2 diabetics walking around. Yep. So uh, that's my mail. Richard, what do you got? So I've got one from Grovasaurus on the forum, and he says, if you use the MyFitnessPal application, you might want to check whether the username and password combination that you use on that service is the same as any other service. Mm. If they are, then I recommend you change them now. Under Armour, the company behind MFP, MyFitnessPal, 
had their systems compromised. Uh, and we'll provide a link to that. I can definitely recommend using the website Have I Been Pwned? That's pwned.com. Mm. We'll put a link to that as well in the show notes. Use that service to check your email address, and I highly recommend the use of a password manager. My personal choice is LastPass, which uh, has browser add-ins, Android, iOS, and Windows Phone apps. And yes, I've used all four, four versions of those. Mm. Personally, this is Richard speaking. I, I use One Password. Uh, because I, I came originally from using a MacBook and it used to be a, a Mac application. Yeah. But the yeah. idea of a, a password application is means that you can um, you can use uh, non-repeating passwords on right. websites. And so anyone who hacks Under Armour to get your MyFitnessPal data, they don't get then to be able to use the same username and password to log right. into all of the other sites that you use. And now so, you just got to make sure that your password manager account doesn't get hacked and lock you out before you can control <laughs> all of those things. That's yeah. true. So you want to choose a good password manager, but yeah. you want to have long, uh, unreproducible passwords. I mean, I can't remember any of my passwords except mm. for the the, the password uh, uh, application that I use. Yeah, that's great. All right, so let's roll a recording that you did here, Richard, in Perth with Jessica Turton. Mm. And uh, she's a dietitian, she's a scientist, she's a researcher, but we'll just let her tell her story and then we'll pick it up afterwards. Okay, so I'm, I'm here with uh, Jessica Turton. Uh, uh, we're in low-carb Perth still. Uh, we've done a whole bunch of interviews from here. <laughs> and uh, Jessica did a, a presentation yesterday uh, about some research that she's doing. And she is a dietitian and she's also a PhD student uh, at the University of Sydney with Kieran Rooney. Yes, Dr. Kieran Rooney. Yes, and uh, he's a, a well-known low-carb researcher in Australia, isn't he? He is. Well, he's how I got into all of this mm. myself. So, he is actually a lecturer at the University of Sydney mm-hmm. and he's the unit of study coordinator for the exercise and sports science degree, which was my bachelor degree. Mm-hmm. So, that's where I learned all about the role of insulin and fuel utilization and mm-hmm. I really sort of delved into carbohydrate restriction. So, it's nice. been awesome. Because he is himself carbohydrate restricted. He, he is on a low-carb, healthy fat diet. Yes, yes. Did you know he was when he was teaching you? No, no. So, at the time, so this was my first year of my five-year degree Mm -hmm. and I didn't know anything about low-carb back then, but I was interested in weight management and weight loss. Right. So, when I learned about, you know, all you need to do is just reduce insulin and then fat burning can be turned on, Mm -hmm. I was like, well, that just seems so logical. (laughs) And so, I dived into it and I learned more about Kieran because I think at this time he had a few videos online and he Mm. was on a few podcasts. Right. So, I learned more about him, but, you know, I was doing my nutrition of dietetics degree, which was mm-hmm. a separate degree to the exercise and sports science right. one. So, I sort of went on my own journey first. Mm-hmm. And then when I eventually came back to doing my master's, um, I got back in touch with him again mm-hmm. because I knew he was, you know, so knowledgeable in this world and I knew he was doing a lot of research in this world as well. Sure. And that's something I was so interested in. I just dived into the research, mm. found it incredible, as you would know, yeah. Um, yeah. especially for someone studying dietetics, right? right. So, Well, that's interesting. Dietetics is such an evidence-based practice and, and you were seeing the evidence that was leading you to the conclusion yes. of, of a low carbohydrate diet, which ironically is is something that's considered antithetical to the yeah. dietetic practice. So yeah. it's, it's, uh, that's interesting because uh, you know that might must have taken a lot of uh, personal risk on your part to observe that things mm. didn't seem to be lining up the way that you taught them. 
Yeah. And the interesting thing about me, I suppose, is that so I did my three-year undergraduate mm-hmm. degree, which was exercise and sports science. So there was very little nutrition in that. Gotcha. It was very science-based. Yeah. And that's where I got into low carb. And I actually went on my own journey with low carb Mm. and found out how amazing it was for weight management, um, blood sugar regulation, uh, energy, mentality, all those sorts of amazing things. So, I was so deep into low carb and then I had to do my master's of nutrition and dietetics. Ah, So, it was a a struggle in a way. Yeah, Yeah, because (laughs) I was one of those people that just questioned everything. Mm. So, you know, I... I really enjoyed my master's degree. Like, I loved it, but I was always questioning. So, you know, every time we learned about something, I was just like, well, why? You know, where's the evidence? (laughs) Um, But I found this. And I just don't know if my questioning approach was very supported. Right. Um, So, that's really what caused me to reach out to Kieran Rooney. I reached out to him again in my first year of my master's. So, this is four years after that lecture with him. Right. And we really got talking and he was really supportive throughout my master's degree Mm. Um, because I just – I just don't know, like I know low carb is so evidence-based and this is what I was talking about in my talk yesterday. There is so much evidence for low-carb nutrition for obesity and type 2 diabetes, but I just don't think the dietitians are aware of it. Right. I just don't think they are. Um, you know, I was put up a few times during my degree and people would, you know, the lecturers would even say to me, you know, there's no, there's no evidence for what you're talking about, Jessica. There's no evidence for low-carb nutrition. And I was just like what are you talking about? I've seen it. Like, I'm not making this stuff up. I got into this through the evidence. Were you able to produce the evidence for them and were they able to – did they recant or did they – No, I I sort of took a slightly – quieter approach Mm. eventually so at the beginning I was very much like you know stating my thoughts and questioning and it wasn't well received so I sort of just went a little bit quiet and I was like you know what I'm just going to do this degree I'm going to take out as much as I can because what a lot of people don't realize is we learn so much detail like Mm. we go into so much detail about the science behind vitamins and minerals and medications and all these types of medical conditions like it's a very intense Hence degree. So, I don't yeah. want to undermine that at all. No. Um, I mean, there is a part where you learn about the Australian Dietary Guidelines, but that's like the first couple of weeks. Sure. So, that's where I was really questioning things. Mm. But as I said in my talk yesterday, the Australian Dietary Guidelines don't apply to people with medical conditions. Right. Yeah. And that's interesting. And that's, that's the fault line where we can start to maybe hopefully see some mm. change because – Clearly, we have we have now uh, Ver- the Verta study that shows that it's it, yeah. that it, it would be a malpractice not to offer a ketogenic diet to people who are mm. type two diabetic because mm. like ninety percent of people not ninety percent of the subjects on that study um, uh, were off off their medication. You know, it's just outstanding, and sixty percent had seen a reversal in their in, um, the in their diabetes, and yeah. so. Almost it, that study just by itself is 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 sufficient to say that this should be available at least to diabetics. Mm. Well, if diabetics are not considered to be normal, um, then and and the ADG, the Australian Dietary Guidelines, is based around only healthy normal people. Mm. Then clearly, there's an opportunity for for a, a new dietary guidelines available to diabetics, uniquely to diabetics, which, you know, mm. could allow a, a ketogenic or low-carb diet. So Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, I did um, a scholarship looking into a lot of the studies behind whole grain intake and cardiovascular disease, mm. and these were the studies that are used as the evidence base for the dietary guidelines. Right. 
And when you look through those studies, they filter out everybody who's got insulin resistance, <laughs> everyone who's over BMI 25, right. yeah. you know, so they're filtering out all the people that make up the bulk of our population. Like, yeah. let's be honest. 85% like, of us had exactly. this, are on this continuum. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, depending on when the study was was designed, but still you sort of look through that and you're just like, well, that's great for somebody that's under BMI 25 and completely healthy. Right. And to be honest, like, I don't know if this is because I'm a dietitian or what and the sort of people I surround myself with, but I don't really know anybody that doesn't have a risk factor like hypertension totally. or high yeah. cholesterol it's or be whatever. It's like 90, 95%. I mean, Oh, yeah. Certainly one in, yeah, only one in 20 people is perfectly healthy, really. So, Well, you know what I thought as well? I actually wouldn't have been included in one of those studies because really? my LDL is very high. Oh, so, right. they would yeah. have kicked me right out. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. So, uh, you actually have a, a family history um, mm. of diabetes, don't you? Yes, a very strong one. Right. <laughs> All my grandparents had or have diabetes. Type 2. Type 2. So, three of my grandparents, yes. So, my mother's dad doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, So, essentially, it's very strong in my family. Um, But I think the most um, interesting side is probably my dad's side. Um, So, my grandmother, she had peripheral neuropathy when she was very young. So, I think in her 60s, she got it and she didn't have diabetes at the time. Um, So, she's, you know, been on a crazy journey herself, um, you know, weight gain and diabetes and any health condition under the sun. Mm. Um, and so, obviously, my dad was was predisposed to those types of things. And my dad's brother, so my uncle, actually died of a heart attack when he was in his late 30s. Wow. Yeah. So, very young. Yeah. So, it's, it's very strong in the family. And my dad... He actually was on an interesting journey and he is one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about Mm. this and so passionate about diabetes. Um, So, he was, you know, he's been overweight for quite some time and he knew, you know, maybe sort of 10 years ago, he's like, something's not right, Right. you know. He was noticing he was very thirsty. He Mm -hmm. was noticing that he was getting a lot of weight around the middle despite what he would do. So, he was always going on a diet, always trying something new, like hats off to him. He does so much research Mm -hmm. and actually really looks into the science um, behind things and goes, yeah, that's cool. I'm going to do it, you know. And he's tried so many diets over the years. And so, I saw him struggling with his weight and all of those types of things. So, that's one of the reasons I got into nutrition itself. Ah, okay. But then what really caused me to be passionate about diabetes was when he ended up having a heart attack. Mm. Um, So, I think it was two years ago now he ended up having a heart attack. It was actually around the time he was getting married. Mm. So, he at the wedding, he was noticing he had some chest pain. And I mean, at the time, he thought he was healthy because he'd been to the doctor every single year saying, I think I've got diabetes. I think something's wrong with me. So, he was pretty much telling the doctor like, look for diabetes, check yeah. it. I'm pretty sure I've got it. But his glucose at that point wasn't elevated his enough glucose to, was to normal. meet the diagnostic criteria. So, they just did like a fasting glucose, right? Right. Fasting yeah. glucose. I was like, you're fine. Don't worry. And I didn't know anything about, you know, insulin testing at the time. Yeah. So, I and I didn't even know my dad was going through a lot of this. Mm. And then, so, he ended up having a heart attack. Mm. And this was within six months or eight months of seeing a doctor who told him he was fine. Wow. Like, 
this could have been prevented. He yeah. was going to the doctor every single year. Yeah. I mean, if only there was some better testing that was done, like an oral glucose tolerance test would've with insulin, yeah. would have got this ages ago. Yeah. And I mean, his brother had a heart attack in his late 30s. Right. Why wasn't my dad getting all the testing that yeah. he could possibly get? Some people just kind of have a heart attack out of the blue and mm. it could be a totally healthy person to have a heart attack out of the blue. So, it is a it is something that can happen with no other criteria. But um, for the most part, somebody who's diabetic um, may not, their, their glucose may not rise for 20 or 30 years after mm. the, the beginning of the, the process, but you know, their, their insulin is going up right from the, from the get-go. Oh, yeah. And some of us, I mean, some, some of us get it in the womb. Insulin is a big mo- molecule, can't get across the placental barrier, uh, but the glucose can. So if mum is carrying a lot of glucose, the fetus is now developing and their uh pancreas is having to produce adults adult amounts of insulin yes and so they they get an early start so Mm. um and and so you know you can pick that up with this craft test you can do a craft test and pick these kinds of things up as you know but just it's just incredible and and then all of the things he's he's saying you know that i mean that the neuropathy your mum's neuropathy grandma's neuropathy that well he had it too so he had it when he was going to the doctor he's like i've got peripheral neuropathy yeah so he had all the warning signs. I mean, he had all the warning signs of diabetes. He didn't have the warning signs of like insulin resistance. He was far gone past right. that and they yeah. still didn't pick it up. Yeah. And the thing is when he had his heart attack, so he had the stent and everything and obviously he's he's fine. So, he hmm. survived. Um, but he had diabetes and they found out and sort of when they told him, he was just like, no, I don't have diabetes because I went to the doctor a few months ago. You told me I was fine. You don't yeah. just get it in three months. No. And they're like- um, yes, you do have a look at your sugars yeah. and they were through the roof. Right. And so, it's really funny because my dad documents all the, his meals in hospital. <laughs> Gosh, you should have seen what oh, he was being fed. Horrible, isn't it? Oh, Hos- my goodness. Hospital meals? Yeah. Yeah. I, Julie went to a uh, uh, hospital once to um, for an operation on her sinuses and we, we interviewed all of the hospitals in Canberra to find one that was willing to do a ketogenic diet mm. and there was only one that was willing to do a ketogenic diet. Yes, I remember the story. And, and they, and they, they they refused to in the end mm. they refused to do it unless she was a, an epileptic child under the um, under the medication of a, of a of a doctor but they had somebody standing over her insisting a you know, big burly male nurse standing over her after her operation making sure that she drank her orange juice and ate a, oh a sandwich. Oh, my goodness. And they wouldn't let her have a visitor until she did it. And she was like, she's extremely stubborn. And yeah, she was like, I'm not going to eat that. Yeah. <laughs> and so they, I think they, they, she eventually ended up having to eat it and then I had to smuggle cheese and, <laughs> and <laughs> That's stuff classic. In. So, yeah, hospital food is horrible. So so he went through this this. Oh, poor bugger. Did, did, poor he, did he end up going? He, oh, I, I guess he obviously went low carb, right? Of course he did. Good on him. <laughs> <laughs> so, he is really receptive to everything that I'm doing. Mm. So, obviously, when I found out all of this stuff, so I had been doing low carb myself mm-hmm. th- at this time. Right. I hadn't really, you know, uh, been shouting it from the rooftops to my family, but they knew that I was doing something that was working um, because I was obviously losing weight and becoming healthier myself. Mm. So, when I found out that this happened to my dad, he sent me, you know, the text straight away. And I was like, oh, my gosh, 
even my dad remembers, I literally wrote him like a 10-page mm. dietary plan, oh, yeah. <laughs> which was basically reduced carbohydrate because this was just after I'd spent a year between my bachelor and my master's degree right. where I'd, for the whole year I was mm. literally researching mm. low-carbohydrate nutrition. Wow. I was so stuck into year. everything. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. And so, I sent him this, this plan and because I was, you know, he was now so invested in diet and health and nutrition sure. and he really wanted to improve his health, he was asking me about the science behind all of this. Mm. So, he didn't want to just know about what do I eat, Jess. Yeah. He wanted to know Why the science. Yeah. yeah. And so, since then, he's been a massive advocate to his friends and family too. Mm. So, you know, with him, he has been able to lose quite a bit of weight. He's still on his journey. Mm. So, you know, it's only been a couple of years now and it does take a lot of time to reverse those yeah. habits yeah. Um, and he's seeing an amazing doctor Dr. David Lim yeah yeah he's, he's really supporting him awesome. through this yeah. and it's just fantastic to see the turnaround because I mean I almost think sometimes my dad could be a dietitian like <laughs> he's learned so much from me and so much himself that he's so educated in the science and I think that's the key thing mm. here and we see that you know from all the people turning up at the low carb down under yeah. events yeah that learning about the science behind this is what really is the driver mm. to get people sort of interested in actually doing it. Yeah. Because he knows that if he, like, for example, you know, if he wants dessert, it's fine. He has dessert. But he does that with an informed decision knowing his blood sugars are going to go high. Right. And knowing that he needs to maybe take some extra strategies mm -hmm. to help them be lower the next day. So, whether it's fasting after or whether it's, you know, planning the day appropriately so he's not having all these glucose spikes across the day. Right. So, I think it's just about making that informed decision. Some of us don't, don't want to have, you know, the goal isn't perfect health, you no. know. But it's it's just improved health so you can have a better quality of life yeah. and I think that's what it's about for him. I think that's I think that's it for me as well. Mm. I, I think weight loss was never a goal for me uh, mm. on the ketogenic diet. It was getting my glucose down um, getting and then getting my insulin down and getting my exposure to my to my blood vessels of insulin. That, yeah. And, and then, of course, um, all of the diabetic side effects, uh, retinopathy, uh, nephropathy and uh, neuropathy and, and uh cardiovascular disease all of those are like vascular damage from insulin so mm. and potentially glucose as well get those two down i really didn't care if i lost weight to be honest exactly because you know, as long as i was as long as i felt good and uh, and i feel great and you know mm. I certainly have lots of energy and and we, we, i should mention we just did a ride we did the bridge to bridge <laughs> in uh, perth in perth yeah so uh so how that long was, was that again we that rode exactly an hour, an hour and 34 mm. seconds <laughs> <laughs> so I think it was but, really nice. Yeah, it was. So so but I, I you know I I I for me for me it was never a, the the goal was never losing weight and so I've never been obsessed by calories in or exercise out you know mm. as, as a as a model but I, since I did the start of the podcast I've I've, I've I've met a lot of people who've been frustrated by that whole thing. So, Well, it's interesting you say that because that was definitely me. Mm. So, well, when I was in high school, essentially, I got very obsessed with calorie counting. Right. Very obsessed with calories in, calories out, you know, like to the point where I was reducing calorie intake to 800 calories <laughs> wow. a day. Wow. And it took over my life. Mm. Like all I saw food, like, I just saw food as calories, mm. nothing else. Right. And I was able to lose a lot of weight, mm. but as you heard in my talk, so 
Yesterday when I spoke, I said that I'd lost 20 kilos since finding low carb. Sure. But the journey before that was a lot, it was crazy really. And that's really what has made me so passionate about this, you know, what's happened to my family, but what's happened to me too. Mm. Because I got lost in that calorie counting obsessive world. Mm. Um, and I lost a lot of weight when I was in I my bet. teens. It, it works. Yeah. I mean, it, it works to lose weight, but it's not all fat that you're losing. And it's Well, the thing is I became a different person, you mm. know. You, we've heard about those starvational studies and you can imagine, I was eating 800 calories a day for a long right. time. That's just not your 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 metabolic rate would would have lowered and, and adjusted, and that's what happened. Yeah. and I became a different person. I think mm. because on the days where I couldn't hit, hit my calorie target, I was mad. Mm. I was angry. It's, right. It was my life. It's all yeah. I cared about, mm. and. So, sort of what followed that was me trying to go, this is ridiculous. I, I eventually hit that point of realization yeah. where I was like, oh my gosh, mm. I've lost a lot of weight. I'm not healthy anymore. I've like a lot of the relationships in my family life had sort of turned on its head because people didn't know how to deal with me because all I cared about was calories. Right. And sounds then, like you make a good dietitian though. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been Sorry. a great dietitian. <laughs> I knew the calories in everything. Like right. even if I had a bite of something, I would record how much calories yeah. was in that. It was obsessive. But the thing is. I ended up on that journey because I was trying to do the right thing. Yes, Because exactly. I was told you have to look at calories and you have to look at calories in versus calories out. And it makes sense because yeah. you know, if, if you if you if you restrict the amount of calories that you're eating and increase the amount that are going out, in theory, the difference should be made up from body fat, mm. and you should draw down body fat in theory. Exactly, you know? and you know it really isn't sustainable. But I think something switched over in my mind, and mm. it became quite dangerous. Yeah, where I was really just obsessed with it. So it, it isn't sustainable. But for someone who only cared about calories and weight loss, mm. it, it was yeah. in a very dangerous way. And. When I hit that point of realization, I was like, I've got to stop this. You know, I've got to gain some weight. I've got to be healthy again. You know, it's not all about weight. And mm. I was really lucky to hit that point of realization. Yeah. yeah. A moment of clarity. A moment talk, of clarity. Exactly. Yeah. But what followed that, because I only saw food as calories, I didn't know how to eat. Uh, right. I was just like... And my brain, I because I was just only looking at food as a number, yes. I didn't know what was healthy anymore. I didn't know what was going to satiate me. I didn't know mm -hmm. what was going to fill me up. So, I sort of got into a really vicious cycle of binge eating. Oh, right. Yeah. So, it was awful. It was mm. really bad. And like if anyone, you know, out there has experienced a binge eating disorder, they'll know, you yeah. know, it's not just like at Christmas time where, you know, you overindulge. Right. That's not it. It's no. it's when you become a completely different person. Yeah. And it was, it was a really hard time because- because, you know, I'd lost all this weight mm. and I thought I was doing a good thing, but then I couldn't find my healthy weight. I didn't know what that was. I couldn't find my healthy diet. Mm. So, then I went on this journey of just like having no idea how to eat. Right. And that's how I put on all my weight. So, I spoke at the talk how I said I've lost 20 kilos with low-carb, high-fat. Yeah. But that was after a journey of putting on about 35 kilos. Wow. Wow. So, from my, my smallest point, yeah. I went up to about 86 or 88 kilos mm -hmm. from binge eating and the, the sort of after effects of what calorie counting can do to you. Right. So, that's why I'm so against calorie counting. Yeah, yeah. But it's also why I'm so passionate about LCHF mm. 
because when I was at my heaviest point and I'm quite tall, so mm. I didn't look so overweight. Um, you know, it was quite well you're, distributed. You're tall. It looks like you can you could carry a lot more weight and still look slim. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, people are like, whoa, 20 kilos. But like mm. on me, it was – I was definitely overweight. My BMI was probably like 29, almost 30. Mm. But we were just talking this morning about how that doesn't matter, but still just for people out there. Yeah. Well, my BMI is around about 30 as well. So, it's, yeah. Yeah. So, I wasn't like, you know, excessive, but I was carrying extra weight. And when you consider that my weight before that was about 48 kilos, right? right. So, that's a big jump. Yes. Um, so, when I was – I was going into my first year of uni to mm-hmm. learn to be a dietitian mm-hmm. and I was overweight. Right. And I didn't know how to That's eat. That's not a good start. It's not a good <laughs> and start. And not knowing how to eat and really being confused about, about food in I general. I was so confused. Yeah. It, it wasn't even funny. So, do you think you went into diet- dietetics then looking for uh, some answers to, for that? It's really funny because I knew I'm I feel that I'm very grateful for this, but I knew since I was like in year nine that I wanted to be a dietitian. Wow. Real and vocation then. Yeah. yeah. So I've always been I I, I started the whole calorie counting thing because I, I loved food and nutrition mm. from a very young age, but it became dangerous for me. Yeah. Um through calorie counting and through the sort of I guess, standard approach to weight loss. So, it became really dangerous. And so, that's why I knew I had to find an alternative way. Mm. And so, when I was sitting in that biochemistry lecture in my first year, you know, probably like eating some carbohydrate at the time. (laughs) (laughs) And I learned about this. I was like, this just makes so much sense. So, I learned about insulin and I learned about how to access your fat stores, which I hadn't been able to do. And so, I just dived in and and started doing LCHF for myself. And that's how I was able to lose the weight and and be the weight I am now. And also to find satiety. I mean, you you didn't know your satiety. Uh, point and and LCHF is a really good way because the nice thing about LCHF is, is that satiety tells you how much you should eat and it and it feels good to be satiated. So it was so good. And you know what? For someone who had a very big problem with binge eating, mm. so I would eat food and just have no idea when to stop. Mm. And when I started doing higher fat eating, I was actually like. I can't eat anymore. Mm. I was actually, (laughs) my brain was telling me, you're eating food. You can stop now. Whereas for years before that, I'd never had that signal. Yeah, I don't don't either. Mm. I mean, I'm obviously the same problem you you do, the familial um, Mm. hyperinsulinemia. And um, back in the day, I used to be able to eat two two large pizzas by myself. And, and, you know, it was, I was, I I didn't have an off switch. And Mm. if I eat now a fathead pizza, Two slices. It used to be two large pizzas. Now two slices, and I'm done. That's yeah, it. So yeah. it's, it, and the satiety just works, and it works appropriately to keep it put. It gets us each to the point that we need to be for our body weight. So it's really amazing. And when I first started my journey with LCHF, because I was coming off a background of binge eating yeah. and still not knowing how much food was appropriate. I actually was eating about five or 6,000 calories, mm. <laughs> but doing a ketogenic sort yeah. of low-carb approach yeah. and still able to lose weight. Yeah. So- It's incredible, really. I tell you a funny story. One, uh, I, I have a dog called Bear who mm. uh, who eats kangaroo mints and Philadelphia che- uh, cream cheese. That's that's yeah, that's what he, what he gets like fed. Sounds like a good diet. It's a good diet, yeah. <laughs> it's a good diet for a dog. He mm. eats- So, so I, I calculated how many calories- calories he eats. He eats 1,600 calories a day. Nice. And I, I eat roughly 1,600 calories a day and I'm four times his, his mass. He's only 26 kilograms and he won't put on weight. He's mm. a teenager and he's mm. just, we just have 
different metabolic rates and we exactly. do different things with energy during the day. Exactly. And so it's it, you know it's fascinating and and yet his he doesn't get a, the option of a satiety signal. He <laughs> he eats whatever's in the bowl. But I my satiety signal is just getting me to the point of where I need to be and just mm. keeping me there. And it, it's a higher BMI than you know. Ideally, if I was to look at BMIs, I might say, oh, I wouldn't mind being down around between twenty and twenty five. Mm. That's not where my satiety wants me but me to be. So well, that's the thing because. Weight loss is great, yes, but what is so much more important, and I think for you as well, is the freedom from food mm, that you get. Yes. Like I was in this dieting cycle where my weight was just never stable mm. and my mind was never stable. All I could think about was how many calories was in a food, <laughs> right. what was that food going to do in terms of putting on body weight. All I could think about was just weight and calories. Mm. And then now to be able to just be so free from all that like yesterday mm. i didn't eat the whole day i right. gave a presentation yeah. and my energy yeah. was just pumping <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and like i didn't even think about food and it was just so amazing because like i know i've been lchf for quite a while now mm. but when i originally switched over and started you know i would usually binge eat once a day right so right. then when i started to realize that i wasn't binge eating i was mm. like my life has changed. Mm. Even if I didn't lose weight, mm. it would have just been totally worth it for yeah. me. My brain's working differently now. My relationship to food has changed. My relationship yeah. to food has changed. Like I can so confidently say like my relationship is so good with food right now. <laughs> yeah. And I think I'm a different person too. Like mm. for you, if you asked my family, when I was going through that time, I was not a nice person to be around. <laughs> okay. Not a nice person. Uh, I'll take but, your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> but now, like, it's just so different. And I think that is the biggest, biggest win when mm. it comes to this type of nutrition. Yeah. And so, I'm never going back to calorie counting. And I would <laughs> never suggest calorie counting to anyone because no. I know how toxic it can be. Well, well, listeners, that's, that's, the, that's the considered authority mm. of a dietitian. <laughs> 100%. 100%. Tell me about this study that you're working on now. You can't yeah. – you, the, the results are still embargoed, right? So, that's the systematic review mm. that I did. So, I was really lucky actually as part of my master's research degree, um, they let me do my own project. Right. So, usually what happens is you just tack on to another PhD student that's already doing something. Mm -hmm. But because I've been having a lot of meetings with Kieran, every time we spoke to each other, we'd talk about a study we wanted to do. Right. And so, when it was coming out to my research component, I requested if I could do a study with him. Mm. And we decided, well, let's, you know, the most people don't think there's any evidence for low carb or many people don't think there is. So, let's review the evidence and let's mm. bring it all together. And we actually found that that's already been done for pretty much everything. So, it was already done for type 2, it was already done for right. obesity. Yeah. And well, we're like, you know, we're not really showing anything new. The evidence is already out there. But then we realized there is a massive gap for type 1 diabetes. Right, yeah. There is just no research or mm. there was no high quality systematic reviews anyway mm. to guide us in what amount of carbohydrate is optimal for this population right. where that should be the most important thing. I mean, people with type 1 diabetes, they can't tolerate carbohydrate. Mm. It's Absolutely. literally a disease of carbohydrate intolerance. Yes. And we haven't got any high quality systematic reviews Incredible. looking at the evidence. Yeah. Wow. So, we're like, yep, we're going to be the first. Fresh territory. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So, we did a systematic review of mm -hmm. all the studies investigating low carbohydrate diets for type 1. Mm-hmm. And- we did our systematic review quite differently to what a lot of people do their systematic reviews like. So, instead of just including randomized controlled trials, because we knew there was going to be like no evidence out there, right? Yeah. We included 
every study design. So, mm -hmm. if it was an N equals one case study, we, sure. we got it. Mm -hmm. um, if it was a pre-post intervention study or a cohort study, observational study, like we knew that the evidence would be scarce. We're mm -hmm. like, let's just get everything. Collect it all up. And you got mm -hmm. everything, whether it, whether it supported your hypothesis or not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah we this didn't was care. An you wanted to get everything and then put it through the filter and work mm. out. Where because I, I am genuinely interested. I mean, we get taught as dietitians, you know, to sort of go by what the person's already eating. Right. So, whatever carbohydrate amount they're already eating, try and help them sort of just make it a bit more, I guess, um, controlled in terms of so that they can calculate their insulin dose properly. Mm -hmm. So, we don't really get taught what the correct dose is. And I'm genuinely interested in finding that out. Mm. I mean, I know low carb is so good for so many things, but I also know that there's that sustainability aspect as well. Mm. And with type 1s, you can get diagnosed at a very young age. Right. Mm. Yeah. So, it is important to actually have that open mind. And so, we went in with an open mind, um, but we found some pretty amazing results. And I presented some of the studies at the low carb um, conference in Perth. Mm. And, you know, we had a couple of N equals 1s in there, right. which is yeah. quite fun because yeah. we wouldn't have picked those up otherwise if sure. we were doing just an RCT systematic review. Yeah. So, we picked up these N equals 1 and, um, you know, one of them that I didn't actually present was um, Dr. Bernstein. Really? Yeah. Okay. His own his, he, on himself, yeah. He published an N yeah. equals 1 on himself right. in 1980. But that, why isn't that in the, in the no, literature? Nobody I mean, knows it, about it. Yeah. So, exactly. Wonderful, so, yeah. We're really excited about the way we did our systematic review because we think it kind of sets a bit of a standard for yeah. other people and particularly for areas that aren't well studied. Yeah. So, of course, for obesity, you can look at systematic reviews of randomized controlled trials mm -hmm. and you can be like, yeah, that's cool. We've got lots of evidence. But for something like type 1 diabetes and carbohydrate restriction, there's no evidence. So, you can't just rely on um, randomized controlled trials anymore. Right. As we heard yesterday, there's people out there that need help now. Mm. We can't wait for these million-dollar randomized control trials to be done. No. We need to look at everything that we've got. Mm. So, it was fun that we had some N equals 1s in there. I loved it because yeah. I'm an N equals 1 myself. We, we both are. Yeah. <laughs> we both yeah. are. Well, I'm not type 1. You know, you better no, mean, so no, we're both but in our own. Diet. Exactly. Yeah. So. So, um, Dr. Bernstein's study was was really cool. He he gave a lot of um, information about his insulin. Yes. And so, he was able to reduce his exogenous insulin from 80 units per day, which is quite mm -hmm. high, yeah. to 25 units per day. Wow. Yeah. And the most incredible result was how much his hypoglycemias went down. So, he was having, I think, I think he said, and I can't remember off the top of my head, it was between two and five severe hypoglycemic episodes a week. <gasps> wow. I've so, only ever had one and it was the scariest well, – actually, no, two – the scariest uh, moments of my life. And and I, this was when I was on um, anti-glycemic uh, drugs. So, yes. you know, um, in the early days and I was on the high-carb diet. The only way I've ever had hyperglycemic uh, events was reactive hyperglycemia mm. on the diet that they give you yes. with 300 grams of carbs a day. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I, I imagine like – I've never had a, a mm. hypo, obviously, but I think it would be so scary. Yeah. And I've had a few patients actually tell me that they've had hypos in their car, mm. you know, and one of Which my- Which can kill people. Oh, yeah. 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 So, mm. so, so, it's incredible. So, he got his um, severe hypoglycemic events down to two a year. Wow. So, amazing, amazing. Mm. And, I mean, there are some amazing results coming out. So, the, the systematic review we did has been provisionally accepted for publishing. Okay. So, we're really excited. And, and when that does get published, we're going to spread it around yeah. so we, people can see. We'll put it in the show notes. In Fantastic. fact, if it's, if it's pretty soon, we might actually hold back the the 
the podcast until it's available. Yeah. And, and we'll put it in the show notes so that everyone can read it, which is awesome. Awesome. Oh, th- thank you very much for spending time with us today. Um, it's been a great interview and you did a wonderful presentation yesterday. I know it was your first and you were thank nervous. You. <laughs> and you were standing in for Dr. Rooney and you did mm. a wonderful job. So uh, thank you and congratulations. Thank great you study. so much. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Wow, I'm, I'm blown away every time I hear a dietitian who has embraced low carb as a therapy. It's very rare. We don't hear it very often. The, the last was uh, uh, Yuan uh, in Australia, the rogue dietitian. That yeah. She was our first dietitian. Um, and I'm thinking that, like, I can only think of two other dietitians. There's uh, um, Jennifer Elliott, who mm. was uh, banned from the ADA. She lost her accreditation. Also in Australia. Also in Australia. And she, was, she lost her accreditation for uh, recommending uh, low-carb diets to diabetic, type mm. 2 diabetics. And then the other dietitian that I can think of is uh, Jeff Volek. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right, who's you know one of the premier researchers into low-carb diets. Got so. to start at UConn. Yeah, exactly. University of Connecticut. Yeah, University of Connecticut. But yeah, I can't, yeah. I can't even tell you any other low-carb dietitians in America. No. I mean, they're, it's but, oh, very hard. I, I just thought of one. Yeah. Uh, uh, dietitian Cassie. Wow. Now, she is somebody, she's an American dietitian who in public ripped up her dietetic credentials. That's right. And, I remember her. And she said one of her biggest problems is that her entire online identity Dietitian Cassie <laughs> is, you know, has dietitian in the name, so she found that very problematic. Yeah, yeah. One thing we've learned, and we learned this just last week from Ken Berry, is that when a physician or a healthcare provider has a personal crisis, yeah, like Jessica had three of her four grandparents were type two diabetic. Her mm-hmm. dad became rapidly type two diabetic and had a heart attack, mm. and she learned that that was the only way that she could uh, successfully keep weight off. Yeah. Uh, it's the personal. Epiphany, the personal um, journey that then they can then take into the rest of the world. There must be a lot of dietitians out there who have found that a low-carb diet has worked for them Mm. but feel too afraid to talk about it. And the fact is they just don't believe their patients, you know, when they tell them that… They're non-compliant. Yeah, they're (laughs) non-compliant, yeah. So we want to hear from more dietitians. We want to hear from people who know dietitians who are embracing low-carb and let's get them, let's prop them up a little bit. Yeah, I have said this for many years that dietitians will lead us out of this disaster, this type 2 diabetes disaster that yeah. we're in. But the first thing they have to do is work their own way out of their own um, dogma. So, yes. Well, are you peckish, my friend? I'm a little bit peckish. We've got to stop saying peckish. <laughs> I love that word, peckish. Are you hungry? I'm feeling a little bit more puckish, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, then let's uh, share some uh, recipes. You know what's great about doing that in the studio? We have a compressor limiter, so I can scream as loud as I can. Okay, let's try that compressor out. All right. Well, uh, I'll go first. Sure. Um, Richard and I have a sort of a one-two punch that goes together, mm-hmm. and it came from experience. Uh, yeah. And mine is a braised beef cheek. Mm. So we were on our way to Restaurant Depot uh, to shop for Keto Mini Fest yeah. just a couple of days ago, and I thought we would stop at this meat packing place, Westerly Meat Packing, um, because they have chicken skins. And we were planning on doing chicken skin crackers. Yeah, how many? It was like ten bucks for like uh, two ten kilos pounds. or something. Ten oh, pounds, dollar a pound. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So, but they had other meats and stuff. And so, eh, what the heck? You know, mm. let's check them out. Sure. And Richard sees the beef cheek. He says, oh, we got to have that. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So, uh, beef cheek, obviously, is the cheek, uh, the jowl of yeah. a cow or yeah. a steer. Yeah. And uh, it's a it, it's very kind of tough because it gets Rubbery. a lot of work. Yeah. Well, this is the muscle on a cow that works all the time. Yeah. Yeah. This, it, I think for, for we know for mammals, the, the lower leg is also yeah. working a lot because they're standing and walking all the time. Mm. So, you know, shanks are delicious mm. and, and the lower leg is a delicious part of the animal. But you got to cook them low and slow. You do. And it's yeah. the same with the, with the, the cheeks is continually moving the jaws yeah. to chew the cud. Yeah. And, you know, when you think about it, the, the buttery parts of a, of a cow are the muscles that do no work. Right. You know, this is the, yeah. the, the, the tenderloin. filet and tenderloin. Yeah. But yeah. The, it's the ones that do all of the work that are the tastiest. Yeah. So we're going to do this low and slow. And this is a mm. braising method that works with any kind of tough meat. Uh, this beef cheek was just amazing. And it had really nice fat when it melted. Mm. Now, we did it in an Instapot. We did. So, but I've done this method with other tough meats and it works really, really well. So what you're going to do is uh, preheat your oven to 250 degrees Fahrenheit. Now you can go anywhere between that and 325, but if you want to do it low and slow, 250 is good. Right. So you want to salt and pepper your beef cheeks, maybe two to three pounds, mm -hmm. you know, it's whatever, whatever it comes in. Now you're going to make a mirepoix. So chop up two stalks of celery one small onion. If you want a few carrots in there for flavor, that's okay. Yeah. But, you know, just watch carrots. Uh, two bell peppers or capsicum in Australia, four cloves of garlic, some thyme, and chop all that stuff up. Now, you coat the bottom of a Dutch oven. And I, we use these Lodge cast iron Dutch ovens. They're great. From Lodge, yeah. Lodge, yeah. Mm. Coat the bottom of the Dutch oven with olive oil. And then you put it on high heat on the stovetop and get that smoking hot. And now you're going to sear the beef cheek on all sides until it's caramelized. It's about three minutes per side. Yeah. You want to get a nice crust on it. This is actually for the flavor. Yeah. Because this is the, this the is million the reaction. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So now you want to uh, deglaze the pan with about a half a cup of dry red wine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, scrape all the bits off the bottom if you got any. Yeah. Now Bond. add your veggies. Mm -hmm. Saute that up for about four minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, not, not a whole lot of time. And just place the beef cheek right on top of those veggies. Now, you're going to put the cover on and cook that 250 for at least five hours. We did it in an Instapot in two hours, and it was still a little bit tough. It should yeah. have gone another three. If you do use an Instant Pot, uh, take it out after two hours, and if it's and try and stick a fork through it. And if the yeah. fork doesn't just slide in, if it meets some resistance, yeah. put it in for another hour, yeah. and what happens is all of that sort of connective tissue turns into gelatin, and it's delicious. Yeah, and the same way with slow braising. If you can't mm. stick a fork in it, just leave it in for put a it while. back in again. Yeah. yeah. At that low temperature, it's going to just not six seven hours doesn't really matter right yeah so now you want to take it out of the oven remove the beef and allow it to rest tented meaning that you put you know some foil over it to keep it warm for right. about five minutes mm -hmm. and for what to do next i give you richard morris <laughs> so what i suggested we do is make a sauce called a beurre monté which is uh, montéing is a process of sort of adding fat 
to a hot sauce to make it glisten and make it and thicken it slightly. Mm. And the French have this technique called beurre monté, which is using a butter monté. And it's um, it, it's essentially the the the, the trick is you could you, you can make a beurre monté with just water and butter. You put a little bit of boiling water on a pan. You take the temperature down so that it's no longer quite boiling, and then you whisk in little cubes of cold butter. And mm. what happens is you end up with a a thickened uh, sauce. And the water keeps it from burning, and that's, that's the trick. Right. That you know, the as trick. it evaporates off, that butter just melts, and it's delicious. Yeah, and this is a technique that uh, that we saw Robert. Ramsey doing at RD86. Yeah, last night. So what we did was uh, we took all of the juices that came off the beef, uh, the beef cheeks, and Mm. all of the vegetables, and we put them in a blender. Yep, magic bullet. And we whisked, we basically blitzed it to to turn the the vegetables. These vegetables have been cooking for two hours, so they just disappeared into nothing. Yeah. So it became a little bit like a soup. Yeah, and it was it was it was quite watery still because yep. we we'd added a little bit of water into the to, into the mixture to to um, to uh, loosen it a bit. So mm-hmm. uh, what happens then is we added some cold butter cubes. So we mm. cut cold butter mm. into cubes and we added them to the the blender. And we blitzed it. Yeah. And this is the same technique. We're going to put links in the show notes yeah. of techniques for making Bermonte. But by adding butter, the butter thickened the sauce. Right. And so it was like, what would you call it? It, was like, it, it, it felt like it had a gelatin yeah, in like it. Yeah, like a gravy texture yeah. almost. And, and so when you do this, you, you want to do it at the very end of the process, right before you're going to serve it. Yeah. And what Robert did last night was he actually added this uh, Bermonte to the mirepoix soup to mixture. Stock, yeah, yeah. That was really reduced, mm. you know, so yeah. it was really thick. And then... He took the the pork shanks, which we had for dinner last night, and just sort of swirled the butter <laughs> yeah. around with it, yeah. and it just made this glistening, thick gravy. Wasn't it good? It was delicious. Yeah. So, but when we did beef cheeks, that was also delicious. The was. gravy was the best part of the beef cheek. Absolutely. So, you know, this this is all of the flavors coming out in the in the uh, uh, sauce, and then it's just the texture of the beef. Once that all of that connective tissue in the beef turns into gelatin, mm. it's like taking a it's it, it, it's like taking a mouthful of of I guess it's it's, it's like gel, gelatinous. Yeah, it's food, like jelly, and almost. it just coats the outside yeah. of your mouth. It's absolutely delicious, and it breaks down just the right level. You don't have to chew it. Yeah. It's it's just delicious. <laughs> exactly. And uh, that's it. That's a show, I guess. It's been a, a delicious week, and it's going to yeah. get even more so. It sure Because is. we're on our way right now after recording this. This is Saturday. Mm. We're on our way to go back down to uh, RD86 and have 30 people for our Keto Mini Fest. Yeah, I've just made 40 covers of poached salmon and also my fennel salad, which oh, everyone raves about. <laughs> yeah. And I've made 40 covers of beef short ribs. And they've been braised in much the same way, just in a more industrial process. Yeah, yeah. delicious. Of course, if you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something that you don't agree with, some more research you found to support or refute anything that we've said, send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com or post it on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter at twoketodudes, on Instagram at twoketodudes, and make sure to use the hashtag twoketodudes. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.twoketo.com. 
And if useless swag is your fancy t-shirts, coffee mugs, <laughs> and other junk with witty keto sayings on them, head over to gear.2keto.com. And if you want a shot at getting some of that swag for free, join the 2 Keto Dudes fan club. You'll be eligible to win something in every show. Go to fanclub.2keto.com. And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce, including 2 Keto Dudes, Keto Woman with Daisy Brackenhall, The Obesity Code with Jason Fung and Megan Ramos, and uh, coming up here, Keto Family and Keto Kids. Yes, yeah. we're still working on that, but mm-hmm. we will get that going. If you want to support all that in our forums, think about making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. Or just hit the donate button on our website at www.2ketodudes.com or just go to donate.2keto.com. You can also see our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And if you haven't already, go leave us a review on our Apple Podcasts. That's how new people get to know about what we do. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. And Keto Fest. And Keto Fest. <laughs> and keep calm and keto on, my friend. Yeah, keep calm and keto on, Carl. All right, we'll see you guys next time on, on Two, Two Keto, keto Dudes. Dudes.